He has three or four. They get kind of angry at him when they, he goes out with one of them. And welcome <laughs> to the Downerfront Podcast, the official podcast of downerfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren. What we do here at the Downerfront Podcast is that we hang out, we review a bunch of movies, TV shows, just about anything that's in the media. We have a lot of different segments, so definitely go check out our work. Uh, and we do all the reviews over having a, a bit of a beverage or a drink. So we're super excited about that. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to some of my co-hosts. I'm excited to see their beautiful faces as we have not had them on there in some time. So I'm going to toss it all the way over to Mr. New York City himself, the beautiful Mocha Mike. Mocha, what you sipping on and what you been watching? Hello, everybody. Hello. So glad to be back here with the Down in Front crew, looking at all your beautiful faces, listening to your sultry voices, minus Brylon, the mouth of the South. I miss him tonight. Um... As for what I'm drinking tonight, I just got back from a, an extended trip to France, so I'm trying to keep it pretty American. As I say that, I realize that the beer I'm drinking is not American at all, so I'm just going to cut that. But <laughs> it's a, a Groove City Hefeweizen. <laughs> um, it is an unfiltered wheat ale that's definitely not Belgian or German, and uh, it tastes pretty good. Um, as for what I've been watching, I recently got... Went to the movies to see the 50th anniversary release of 2001 A Space Odyssey. So it's been 50 years since that movie came out, more or less. Um, Stanley Kubrick's opus. And they played it at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens in 70 millimeter, And it was awesome to see. Uh, I haven't seen a movie on film in in a long time. At least not one that was made decades ago. The last Mm -hmm. movie I saw on film was The Hateful Eight. Uh, which didn't have some of that kind of bouncy quality that a movie from the late 60s has when you watch it on film. And it just gave it this kind of... uh, It was a cool experience, and I'm glad I got to see it uh, in that fashion because it's such a classic of sci-fi movie history. Good stuff. Well, I'm always excited to see your face, and I know we've been chatting about this a lot in our own personal chat, so I'm excited to get your analysis of Christopher Robin tonight. Yeah. Uh, my other best friend, who needs no introduction, yet I still do it because I haven't seen him in years, Mr. Mike Blewett. Mike, what's going on, man? What you sipping on and what you been watching? Hey, guys. So uh, as for what I'm sipping on tonight, uh, I've got a Showbear uh, mead from the company House Bear Brewing. Uh, mead, of course, being primarily made with honey. Uh, this is This is definitely topical for tonight 100 percent. oh yeah it's uh it's pretty solid and it is 12 percent uh so if i am a podcaster with not much of a brain at the end of this we know the reason why uh as for what i've been watching so i did get to i I went to a far away place uh probably as equally far away as you know as france uh as mocha uh to the strange land of seattle uh (laughs) yeah so off on the west coast um and 
uh, I did get to see the Museum of Pop Culture, which has a lot of, it had two primary exhibits. One was like a horror movie one, and the other was like a sci-fi exhibit. And there was a lot of like used props from different horror and sci-fi films throughout the years. Uh, their traveling one uh, they had was, ironically enough, the Marvel movies. So they had all these like set props and costumes and stuff from the Marvel universe, as well as like first edition comics from back in the day. It was like an overall Marvel thing. Um, it was fun. I will say this. I actually watched a random film uh, when I was in the strange land of Washington. Um, and <laughs> Washington. Washington. <laughs> I like how your version of a foreign pronunciation is just dragging out one syllable. <laughs> like nothing else changed. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, so uh, I saw the James Franco Amber Heard, I believe, opus, The Adderall Diaries, and that that movie was a load of shit. Uh, not gonna lie, it was pretty terrible. I I went in thinking like, hey, you know, I'm gonna watch James Franco, James Franco around for two hours, and it's about like this writer who is like interested in a murder case and that's his like new thing he wants to write about even though everyone says not to and there's like a girl involved it's really stupid it's like terribly done oh don't, that's it d- don't watch it yeah no that's it that's literally it just don't watch it if you see it come Ooh. up if you see it next to like disaster artist pineapple express in the interview and then there's the adderall diaries just keep on going the adderall diaries that's fair what about uh, Spider-Man, number one? Yeah, that would be the one you scroll over to. So oh, okay. watch that for the 400th time. That one's cool. I like that. Sam Raimi, rest in peace. He's I didn't know he passed away. He's still alive. He did it. Oh. He did it. <laughs> Jeez, all right. Uh, my friend, coming my friend, in hot tonight. Yeah, I know. My friend's podcast has like a kiss of death, thinking that there's a lot of actors has died. And they're not. So I really hope nothing happened to Sam Raimi for the rest of his life. Oh man, if so. something happens to him tonight, I'm gonna feel bad. But once we get past the six hour mark, I'll be, I'll be, my conscience will be free. No wow. way. This takes me like four or five days to edit. You have like. 72 oh, hours <laughs> oh crap don't give away the movie magic behind our podcast <laughs> it's not even magic it's just i'm lazy <laughs> it's like it's like disney there's magic in it no well as always it's great to see you guys face i'm excited to have you back on um huge shout out to uh, mr b Ryland, the mouth of the south uh he is actually sick this evening so we're super sad and i'm gonna pour one out one for him because uh, we will see him uh, next week on our recording. So super pumped about that one. We miss you, Brian. We miss you. We miss you. You look, you look much better than both of these mics here combined. Yeah, but that's been the case for a minute. Yeah, that's true. That is true. My name is Warren. I will be your host for this evening. Uh, right now, I am currently sipping on. I'm uh, trying to shed some poundage. Some pounds? Some weight? Yeah. And so I have cut out beer. So I'm pretty excited about that. No more beer for moi. It's Jesus. not very... I leave the country. I leave the country for, <laughs> for three weeks and suddenly everything's upside down. <laughs> my diet changes every other day. Come on, bro. Um, and so right now I am sipping on a gin with some ice and a lime and a lemon. It's quite nice. So it's uh I have nothing topical for 
for the review. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's good. So there you go. And it's hashtag sip to that. But what I've been watching was a bunch of things, as usual, because I try to watch just about everything that came that comes out, even on TV. Um, and I think the two movies that whew, I've seen in the last few days, uh, one of them I really enjoyed. The other one, not so much. So I wouldn't recommend The Darkest Minds. Uh, I know it's based off of a book. Uh, but I don't think that movie was made. I didn't realize it was a young, young adult movie. You know, what happens when you don't watch trailers? You don't hear about anything. But I'm super excited to get my, you know, God sister's um, opinion of that movie because she really enjoyed a lot of The Wrinkle in Time. She enjoyed the entirety of that movie. And so I'm wondering if it's, you know, maybe I'm just old, too old for this movie. That's cool. So I'm holding with my thoughts right now. I wouldn't recommend it if you haven't like quite watched the books. But if you have like younger children, like teen teenagers, check it out and let me know if you like it, because it just wasn't vibing for me. Uh, but apparently it's a movie that's going to be a bit of a series. So I think it's going to be more than two of them. Uh, but the movie I did enjoy, which is really, really fun, it's called The Spy Who Dumped Me uh, with Mila Kunitz and um, Kate McKinnon. The movie was very, very funny. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. I think at times the movie is kind of long, which ultimately kind of hurts it. You know, the movie's just about two hours for a comedy. Um, and it definitely kind of drags in some of the middle parts, but it's very unexpected, very fun. And they definitely don't put, you know, uh, you know, Kate McKinnon in these weird sort of SNL characters. So I like that she was kind of like her own straight character is still very funny but a lot of situational comedy in this movie um so i definitely would recommend that definitely go check that out it's called the spy who dumped me that is out in theaters right now and tonight we are pumped i am pumped we are going to be looking to do a full review of christopher robin um so this movie is going to be starring you know ewan mcgregor ewan mcgregor Haley atwell uh, and it's also going to be directed by mark forrester uh, you know, looking at the IMDb, IMDb synopsis, you know, a working class family man, Christopher Robin, encounters his childhood friend, Winnie the Pooh, who helps him to rediscover the joys of life. That was a great, that was a great sort of synopsis. Before we get into our non-spoiler section, we always try to kind of ask a question or get some um, audience involvement or, you know, other users involvement here. I'm going to toss it over to Blewett. So Blewett, you know, looking at this movie and hearing that this movie was coming out, what was your experience with Winnie the Pooh growing up? Growing up? Yeah, I it was either me or my sister literally went as Winnie the Pooh as kids. I th I think it was my sister, and I think I had a Tigger costume. Uh, I think that's how it it divided out. Um, but we loved that show. Like I, I called him Win Pooh because I couldn't necessarily pronounce the 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 knee part of it. Uh, but yeah, I'd walk around my house just like demanding my mom put on Win Pooh. Yeah, I love that show. It's, it's so nice. good. It was this very go. nostalgic to see these characters back on the screen again. Yeah, I remember like just like watching a bunch of stuff here. I don't think I got into it as much as I wanted to. There was probably other like shows and TV and stuff like that we were watching, but it definitely was on in our household. None of us really kind of focused on it too much. I just remember growing up and, you know, at this point we're like really really young, but everybody was obsessed with Tigger. Or everybody was obsessed with Piglet. Not many people liked Winnie the Pooh too much. I think it was like the other side characters that people kind of gravitated to, especially Tigger for some strange he's, reason. He's the Jason uh, Bateman of the Hundred Acre Woods. He's just like the straight man. No, oh, okay. Like everyone else bounces around him. Some more, I mean, some more literally than others. But I would argue that the straight man is Al. True. No, Al's kind of an idiot. Wasn't that a shtick? Winnie the. No way. Winnie the Pooh is more of a. Uh, <laughs> 
a buster situation got going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mocha, what's your sort of experience with winning the Pooh growing up? Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up with Disney, uh, with a lot of Disney in my life. My parents, like, we always had movies uh, around in the house. My parents would take me to the theaters. But Winnie the Pooh was never something that really caught on with me. I would watch the cartoon when it was on. There was nothing, really nothing else to watch. But uh, I don't know. Something about it was never, it never really hit me in the way that it really connected with other kids, I feel like. Um, I enjoyed it when I did watch it, but I was never really crazy about it. Uh, maybe at that, like, tender age of six, I was just into, like, more, like, gritty hardcore stuff like uh you know like hercules things like yeah. that <laughs> little mermaid hey, <laughs> but, hey um, hercules is top five for me so there you go oh absolutely that's the gospel truth Ooh, but nice I, I didn't uh yeah so i knew of winnie the pooh i knew all about the characters i would watch some episodes but i wasn't a, a ride or die for him yeah yeah so i mean i'm pumped because i know at least you know a lot of the lines and a lot of the script and a lot of the dialogue that winnie the pooh gives in this movie definitely makes me like think of like man was he like this philosophical like this philosophical in his show i'm curious i was thinking about going back to watch before but i'm already still watching uh mr rogers i'm up to season five right now so i have a long way to go about that so whenever i finish that maybe i can go back and watch winnie the pooh so we're pumped. So what we're going to do is going to give you a break. We're going to go into our spoiler section. So after this, we're going to be spoiling entirely part of the movie, the plot, the characters, the acting, just about everything. So if you haven't seen Christopher Robin yet, definitely pause the podcast and we will see you soon for a full review of Christopher Robin. See you soon. Yes. And we are the Down in Front Podcast. My name is Warren. I'm with Mocha Mike and Mike Blewett. And tonight we're giving you a full review. We are in our spoiler section of Christopher Robin, directed by Mark Forster. I'm going to toss it over. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to be talking a bit about, you know, the characters and the acting as we usually do. We're going to open up a little bit and talk a bit about, about the plot. And then we'll end our conversation talking about just like the voice acting and motion, um, the motion capture and just things that, you know, what really did work for us, like visually inside this movie itself before we conclude. So I shall toss it over to Mr. Mocha. Tell me some things that you liked or you didn't like about the actors and the characters. I mean, the actors in this movie were all great. You know, you have the lead man, Ewan McGregor, who has looked the exact same since Moulin Rouge. I can't remember him ever looking any different. Uh, he looked different in train spotting. And then he like grew up from Moulin Rouge and then has been the exact same physical specimen since then. Um, but his acting has also been as consistent. He's always reliable. He is believable uh, and is like sort of uh, serious and capable, but still a little bit bumbling kind of personality that he puts off as Christopher Robin. Um, Haley Atwell is wonderful as always, completely effortless in everything she does. And uh, all the extra characters around them you know, the the secondary, tertiary characters, the people who worked at the suitcase office or company all had uh, this really cool kind of like Disney-esque bop to them. They had like 
a lot of energy and kind of bounced around with their lines and the way they acted. And See, even though they were background characters, I like I got a Disney feel from them. I thought they were the human, uh, like human versions of the uh, like Winnie the Pooh gang. Like there was uh, like the old guy that was really like, oh, I guess I'm getting fired now. Um, there was hmm. like. Oh, who else? There, there was a couple of them that like very much paralleled like the animatronic characters, which you could make uh, the comparison that Ian McGregor's character literally just lost his mind and was just like basically flashing back to people he saw around him. There was Ooh, a, there only was they a, went that far. Yeah, yeah no, crazy. I know. But, no, but seriously, there was there was definitely the old guy that was definitely Eeyore, um, and I thought there was a couple others that like really paralleled. I think like. Rue. The girl who could read lips was totally a piglet. Yeah, like <laughs> like kind of scared, but like you know, trying her best. You know, they, it seemed like they paralleled it, and I feel like there's like a cut scene with like all of them in a shot together that would have done that a little bit more justice. Either that, or I'm completely wrong. That scene doesn't exist, and it was just me projecting. So, who in that scenario do you think is winning the poo, or do you think? You know, Christopher Robin was winning the Pooh in real life also. I, yeah, I don't have a good one. I, I, I just it, saw it, but I kind of don't remember it well enough to. I think if we're going with that theory that Winnie the Pooh or in all the characters, the other characters from the Hundred Acre Woods were um, manifestations of Christopher Robin's psyche. I would say that Winnie the Pooh is Christopher Robin and it's the part of his subconscious that he can't really that he can't really uh connect with in any other sort of way um because like through all the scenes that we see him in as a little kid in the hundred acre woods he has this sense of just knowledge and awareness he's like i'm gonna go away to boarding school i'm gonna have to be away for a while like things may be tough i won't forget you and winnie the pooh is that is the part of him that is just doesn't have that responsibility and never will because it's that pure kernel of dumb innocence Mm. um Again, I think we're already writing a better movie than we were presented because <laughs> yeah. they make it very clear in this film that these are real beings that interact with everybody in society once they come through the 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 tree, which we can get into later. And that's, but and that's I think it's super Disney esque to have them be like, you know, you kind of like rub your eyes and look around. And you're like, oh, I'm still surrounded by the people and like ideas of people that I, I've always been. Mm-hmm. But. Also, I, I'm not going to lie, going back to the Ewan McGregor, I still could only hear Obi-Wan the entire freaking movie. The, the whole damn uh, thing. The- I was just like, like he, he literally said, like, oh, what have we got here? Like, at one point, I was like, oh, you're talking to R2-D2 right now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably because, like, we all want another Obi-Wan movie. Like, we want that Obi-Wan movie to happen, so just let it happen. He is Obi-Wan. There weren't too many good things that came out of the prequel trilogy, but Ewan McGregor as young Obi-Wan Kenobi was definitely the hi- one of the highlights. I think there's only one thing that came out of the prequel trilogy. Maybe the music, but definitely Obi-Wan was the only thing I liked. But not true. Darth Maul was dope. I yeah. learned an important lesson, and since I saw those movies, I have never, ever let anybody be on higher ground than me. It doesn't matter if we're friends. It doesn't matter if we don't even know each other. I'm always standing up on fire hydrants and on walls and stuff, making sure I'm higher than everyone else. (laughs) Oh, good. Good to know. (laughs) Mike Blewett, what's some some more stuff about the characters and the acting that you have? Uh, Haley Atwell is always adorable. Uh, I think I wrote some naughtier stuff in there, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to. 
pass it because like Boo. yeah because it's a family friendly podcast um seriously though uh she is an adorable adorable human being that i feel like doesn't get enough work for how adorable she is uh i'm gonna cut half of that so um one other thing uh, last thing on like characters i love the throwback design i feel like everyone that to differentiate the movie from the cartoon, you had to make it its own unique thing. And I think taking the like CGI live action version of the toys that they were initially based on was a like a bold move because everyone knows the cute, cuddly Winnie the Pooh cartoon, whereas like the toys are kind of terrifying because they're like these early 19th century things that everything was horrifying back then because they didn't have any good manufacturing process. Uh, it was a bold move, and uh, Cotton, I don't know if it's going to work out for him because uh, I feel like we're pretty split on on how we care about that. It kind of looked like a horror movie. Uh, I kind of want to see the recut of like Winnie the Pooh with his, his It balloon just walking through and just like, you know, <laughs> ominously saying, oh, bother to like people, you know, like that would be a kind of a cool experience. But, oh, oh, bother. It seems I've killed again. <laughs> I just can't cop- stop killing, can I? You guys uh, are stupid. But like, I think it was a, it was the right decision to do. Um, I think that like we talked about previously with a lot of these live action remakes, like what's the point? And so if you're going to directly like word for word, look for look, copy something, you, why'd you make it? Whereas yeah. if you're doing something slightly different with the IP, that that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, that's a good call out. I know um, a lot of the stuff that I really enjoyed for them actually kind of going there was to to say and really make a, like make a point to say that, hey, these are real, and this world that we're in is to have a lot of kind of realness to it, but these characters are real. And a majority of the time of just about every, any time else I've seen, it was always been like a fantasy. We've always been a fantasy and Winnie the Pooh and the gang was never real. Um, so I like the fact that they kind of brought this in. They kind of mixed those worlds together and you see Pooh just almost sort of manifests uh, at a time in which Christopher Robin really kind of needed him. Um, so I'm glad they kind of went through there. They kind of made it a little bit more impactful to know that, hey, I'm really like people can really see these characters. And there's a lot of kind of one offs, a lot of like very comical scenes of, uh, you know, did you just see that? Is that thing looking at me? And there are people not entirely sure if these toys are kind of real. So I was definitely almost feel like a callback to like Toy Story. Um, but I just like the fact that they kind of mesh that world together. And instead of, um, you know, people learning life and stuff like that in a fake like fantasy world and then coming back and applying that knowledge what they have now now they just kind of put it all in one story together and i think it, it goes a little bit further away especially because you know this is going off of jim cummings who's the you know the voice actor for you know winnie the pooh this actor was like absolutely phenomenal i'm going to get into that one a little bit later but just the way that they described in quarter sort of like design winnie the pooh who was very different, and I think everybody's uh, each one of the characters of Rue and you know Piglet and Tigger, they all had like a lot of personality to them. Uh, and you know, there's things that I noticed that they were going to do, but then also I just didn't realize, you know, we I'd never really kind of spent a lot of time with these characters before. And so I think the one thing that was fresh in my mind is Goodbye Christopher Robin, which came out last year, I believe, which was uh, a very very dark, very very real, um, different story of basically Chris, Christopher Robin's life as a kid. 
when he's this huge success. Um, and so I think that, you know, switching it around a little bit, making the story a little bit more family friendly, uh, also a little, a little lighter oh, I, by a little, I mean a lot lighter, uh, but still putting the fact that, you know, um, this is what Christopher Robin went to. He had to leave. You know, it, the movie opens up with basically them saying goodbye to Christopher Robin and this huge conversation between Christopher Robin and Pooh about, you know, you'll you'll never forget me or anything at all like that. So I think that was a nice kind of callback to their conversation later on when Christopher Robin was grown, played by Ewan McGregor. Um, love seeing Ewan McGregor. Like, I'm all about that. That dude's amazing. Uh, I'll love to see. I still want to see him in more stuff. But talking about the side characters, I did enjoy the daughter. Her name was uh, Bront Carmichael. Her name was Madeline in the movie. Um, I like the fact that it was like a, a difference of she was trying to kind of help her father. She's trying to kind of please her father, but clearly not having fun with it at all. And so it's interesting to see, you know, oh, when they had their first moment of, you know, hey, could you read me a story or read me a book or something like that? She clearly wanted to kind of focus on like more of the fun element. And uh, Christopher Robin just seems to be a bit more of the um, no fun police at all. So I, th- I, I like at least it was really easy, easy to tell. I think th- there's not a lot with the story of like I knew this was going to happen. I'm just glad they made it a bit more um, clear and they were pretty direct into, you know, what they wanted to say about that character. I will say this. I was surprised that they went so deep into showing Christopher Robbins uh, like divorce from his childhood innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have just as easily said okay and then a few years later here we have christopher robin and he works for a company and you know he's not as happy as he used to be but like they showed him going off to war and the thought that christopher robin probably killed a guy and was sitting there with like his his hands soaked with the blood and viscera of some german soldier like probably not thinking about winnie the pooh and his friends in the hundred acre woods like that like the actual like horrors of the world that can take away something's innocence was way way deeper than i expected them to go for this movie yeah which also ties into a bit of like why i felt a bit strange about the the themes of this movie and how they went about it because it was definitely a disney movie with disney characters but it, i don't think it was a movie made for kids i don't think it was a movie really made to welcome kids into the world of, of winnie the pooh um but even so, even though it created that confusion in terms of who, like, who is this movie for, I thought it was a pretty bold move for them to go in there and say, like, war is hell and it will steal your childhood and turn you into this, like, and turn you into what Christopher Robin is now. Yeah. Like, that was a bold move and I, I appreciated it. Well, what was we... the name of the, uh, the snuff, snuffle, snuffle heffalump? Eeyore. Heffalump. No, no, no. Heffalump. Heffalump, thank you. Yeah. Wow. Oh. feed on other so... people's happiness. It's like trolls. It's like, like bullet. No, what? Me and you share an apartment <laughs> under a bridge. Trowns. Uh, so, a couple things there. Yeah, one, I, when I was watching it, like, I did not expect to see World War II pop up. That was a complete shock and, like, a bold-ass move for, like, a family-friendly company like Disney, you know? Like, if they redid Captain America 1 right now, he'd probably be, like, I don't know, at Woodstock or something. Because they, they just don't do big war scenes. Um, really good job updating that reference for the modern times. <laughs> yep. Mocha, you raise a, a very good point where I think a lot of these young adult type movies, they're kind of mismanaging. Like they want to make a PG-13 movie that completely can just capture, you know, the eight eight-year-olds to... 20 year olds and then you know the eight-year-olds parents at like you know what 40 and plus 
And so they're, they're aiming for that. But the only problem is that most of these movies revolve around IP that existed when 20 to 40 year olds were growing up. And so they, they kind of try and draw them in. And I think a lot of these films are trying to do both. They're trying to appeal to kids and they're also trying to appeal to the initial target audience, which like we've seen with the later Transformers movies, the original Transformers movie hit it out of the park. That was exactly like what you need to see. But like the, their later Transformers movies, uh, this one, uh, I'd throw Power Rangers into that group. Hell, you could even throw DC and Marvel into it where like varying degrees of success, obviously, but they're trying to uniquely capture the young adult uh, the current young adult and younger crowd with also playing on uh, nostalgia for the older group. And Marvel obviously does it amazingly well. Uh, Star Wars does it pretty well. And then you have kind of these other companies trying to get a little bit of that market share. But I wish I wish these companies would just do it. You know, just like, hey, you love this when you were growing up. We're just going to make an R-rated He-Man, you know, a movie. Because you all are over 17. We're, you're all like mm-hmm. 35 years old that we're watching He-Man. Let's just do it. Let's just make some weird one. It'll be exactly like the cartoons growing up. And that's what we're left with. So that's a good point because you mentioned how like Marvel and some other companies can walk that line and balance it a bit more. And what I feel like you find with, let's take for the example Marvel, um, which does a good job of balancing nostalgia and creating something new for a new audience. What they're doing is creating a movie that's fully directed towards uh, recruiting new people into the fold, people who may not have been considered themselves like Marvel comic book fans previously. But they pepper it in with tons of unobtrusive references that matter to the people who know what's going on. And so you get the best of both worlds there, but they still have one steady focus, and that's carving a new path for a new audience. This movie, uh, which came up in our video teaser earlier, Kind of feels like two separate movies. I think, Blue, you, you mentioned this. It feels like two separate movies. You have Christopher Robbins uh, coming to the, to, to the realization that he's lost his childhood and how that gets changed back and he gets his, his youth and imagination is reawakened. And you have, the, as you mentioned, the passing of the torch to his daughter and what that looks like. And those are two very different stories for two very different audiences. And they weren't blended together well. And so instead, what you got was a divided... Uh, like a divided amount of attention on both and neither really landed in the right way. Um, Cause I, I don't believe at all that the Christopher Robin arc in this story had anything to do with, uh, with bringing new audience, new, uh, new audience members into the, the poo faults, which you've seen in other films, like for Disney's other attempts at live action, live action, the, for instance, the live action beauty and the beast. That was more or less the original cartoon, just live action. That movie is going to connect with children the same way it did when it was a cartoon, except it's going to be live action with really cool graphics. This movie, the same thing with Jungle Book. This movie was not that. This movie, they tried to do tell a different story, and I don't think they had a good focus on who they were telling that story for. Yeah, I think I think they were trying to cast a net between like a live, uh, a, a good amount of people, but I've definitely seen kind of both. I see both stories in the actual movie. That's probably why I liked it a lot. But again, I liked it a lot because we're on the older side of of things. So we kind of get some more things we can appreciate them trying to go back and still entertain children. But it is it's a good call out because this Winnie the Pooh and a lot of these characters that we've seen in this movie here are very different. Definitely Pooh itself, like although he's kind of bumbly and like kind of not airheaded as like being negative, but like he's sort of like, you know, very, uh, very, very chill. But he is this 
philosopher that has like some of the best lines in this movie. But I'm like, he definitely was not that wise way back in the day. At least I don't remember it. So I, I think that's interesting to see if kids were to watch this movie, do they think that Winnie the Pooh was always that wise accidentally? Well, he no, he always had that. He like that was his shtick where he didn't purposely say smart things, but if you like listen to him, you learned a lot. Mocha, mm-hmm. just to kind of end that point that I brought up in the teaser and then you brought up in this thing, um, I felt like there was a huge shift in dynamics. Like you could feel it. You know, they got uh, Christopher Robin got out of the Hundred Acre Woods, and then all of a sudden they just it was like, no, he's not the main character anymore. It's the daughter. Like movies have done that before. Uh, I think famously Psycho uh, did that. Uh, where they killed Janet Lee's uh, spoiler for a sixty-year-old movie. <laughs> they killed Janet. Like Janet Lee was on all of the posters leading up to it, and she was like, "Oh, come see the hot big actress," you know, in this thing. And then she gets nuked in the first four minutes of it. Um, and so it kind of felt like that. Like a, mo- a movie could do it successfully. And then it could do what Christopher Robin did. And it's like, all right, well, cool. We're just going to develop this character and have her be the lead and have her go on, like, the wacky hijinks for, like, you know, 40 minutes or so. Um, And it just – there was no reason for it, you know, in-universe of, like, why that would happen. They should have just made it entirely Christopher Robin – trying to re reconnect with his youth or they should have had that first scene, which that first scene I loved. And I feel like we're going a little bit more into the plot aspect of it, but whatever. Um, first scene I loved it transported me back when I was four years old again. Um, it almost should have, if you were going to go with Madeline, you should have just had him exit the, like the, you know, the hundred acre woods show him, you know, have a pregnant wife and then pick up with her immediately and then have mm. her like try and rediscover, you know, they go on a vacation for a weekend and she rediscovers her father's past and you can mm. still have Ian McGregor yeah. in it and you could have the same character where he's like a very business focused person, but it's just th- shown from a third person perspective rather than the first person that was shown in the, the actual movie. I think that had the moment Ewan McGregor returns from war after he killed the dude uh, and <laughs> gets back to his station and sees his daughter as a, like a young girl, if at that moment the movie switched over to be entirely focused on the perspective of the daughter uh, and have Ewan McGregor, he could still, or Christopher Robert could still have his drama with work be like a background issue as and have it be the reason why he can't see his daughter. But it's through um, her but eyes. Focus the movie on, yeah, yeah. through her eyes her issues, her frustrations, which were all very legitimate and things that kids can connect with uh, if they watch this movie and then have her rediscover, like they encounter Pooh and the others in the forest. Maybe they come through for the same reason to because there's some sort of spiritual connection to save Christopher Robin. But again, they meet her first and it's all through her that that Christopher Robin is reintroduced to the youth that that died along with that German soldier that he strangled with his bare hands. Like, that would have been a good movie that I would have loved to watch. And well, I, the, I thought the they base, really missed a, a chance there. The base metaphor of Winnie the Pooh is just like a coping mechanism in it, like uh, how the imagination of youths can, can work. You know, like, again, mm-hmm. it was based on a real set of toys that um, it was it A.A. Milne and there was another author, but they get like shafted in the credits. Um, it, but so it was based on that set of toys 
And you could literally just make the parallel of like Winnie the Pooh showing up and being like, hey, your father was put in the same situation where he needed to help cope. You don't say this directly. Obviously, it's, it, there's an inference. But like mm-hmm. your father needed us and needed his imagination to cope with like going to boarding school. And here you are 20 years later or, you know, whatever, in the same exact situation. And we're going to help you cope again with that. And then you could have it spill over and have Christopher Robin at the end rediscover and like help him cope with like his work. But like, I think there's a generational parallel uh, that gets created with the toys that you could really drive home. And granted, that would be a total kids movie. And I don't think a bunch of 30 year old men are going to be as enthusiastic discussing it. But it's also it's also 30 year old man. (laughs) Are you still 29? No, no, you're no I'm just saying Warren's the only one who's enthusiastic about it. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, no. But you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, I think it would be a worse movie for us, but it would be a better to watch, but it'd be a better movie overall. Also, let's not kid ourselves. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're a Disney fan, you're going to go crazy over Disney movies. Yeah. I have so many people within my social network who still have the Disney bug. And they pop off when they hear about a new Disney movie being released in live action or a new animated movie coming out. They still like they get so excited about buying Disney stuff for their kids who are too young to even understand what Disney is. But they're excited because they get to do it. You know, there's a real connection there. Um, So, like, don't don't make these movies and pander to that adult audience. Get in there with that with that new generation. Make the movie for them. The parents, the the not yet parents who just grew up with Disney are still going to watch that stuff. Yeah. Or just make it about Ian McGregor having a psychotic break and make it totally for adults and make it be like no kid would ever see it because it's this main character that is doing heroin in a bathroom. Uh, It's just Chain Spotter 3. It's Pooh Spotting. (laughs) I thought for sure that they were going to do like a dark sort of turn that he's basically like has been losing his mind almost like for all his life. Like I didn't realize that this was going to be real. I'm kind of glad they didn't kind of go there because I like the fact that a lot of these characters were kind of set up with, um, at least for me, kind of looking at these characters of not quite just coping because that was like near the end of it, but more than the lines of just playing like imagination, being creative, like unlocking that outlet of this is all that you can necessarily do. But it's nice to even think about, you know, he wasn't imagining it the entire time. That was just like his real friends. Yeah. To be fair, you could also have used this as like a fugue state type thing where Christopher Robin goes into Germany and executes 1400 civilians with a pistol. Like he literally just lines them up and then they're like, hey, they're go- there's some of them that might cause an uprising and we can't deal with this because we're moving on. And he just goes through and pops them each and he has PTSD and he's just severely emotionally distraught and he comes back to England and he sees his daughter who's like his age and then it just takes him right back into when he was a kid and he needs to all of a sudden get over the guilt of murdering an entire town of women and children by playing with his stuffed bear again. I don't but, know but where still, y'all you can, women, that'd be messed up and that'd be for, too. that'd be for I don't know adult. where y'all getting this. <laughs> the younglings, the younglings. Way too overboard. The younglings, you can't kill the younglings. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> it's sand. Good thing he didn't serve in North Africa. Oh my so, God. Let's move the entirely into so plot rough. as we're also talking about a bit of the voice acting because we already kind of started. So let's, I'm going to toss it over Moko. Holler at me about the plot of this movie and what you think. All right, everybody. Let's talk about the heffalump in the room right now, okay? 
this movie was creepy <laughs> as hell. All right. Everything about it just felt a little off. And this came up in our previous conversation about how it wasn't really clear whether this was a movie about the child or about the like mental breakdown that the adult was having. Um, but there was a weird tone that was set from the moment Christopher Robin goes off to boarding school with his father dying, with the, uh, with the war, with the lives that he took, with him coming back and having a dysfunctional relationship with his wife, um, with his daughter being like uh, essentially emotionally isolated from him. Uh, it, was, it felt oddly creepy for a Disney movie. And this continued on even when you get to the Hundred Acre Woods, you know, with Christopher Robin being gone and him not caring about what Pooh or the others there's an the sky is overcast and the plants are dying and there's this there's just this lack of sound uh from any sort of living being and everything about it was creepy including poo um you know i watched the cartoon when i was younger i didn't watch every episode but i watched it the way poo moves in this movie was like really slow and lumbering in a very like mike myers michael myers excuse me sort of way and i feel like his like in this film, Pooh himself was significantly more brain dead than he was in any other rendition I've, exper- I've, I've experienced with him. Like, Pooh has always been simple-minded, but I felt like he was kind of, like, dangerously dumb in this, in this movie. And I don't know, it was just, it was very eerie. There was an eerie feeling for, throughout this movie, compounded, of course, by the fact that Pooh himself, the design, was scary. Um, I don't think everyone in this room agrees with me. I'm getting some faces for those podcast listeners right now, but <laughs> I'm telling you right now, maybe it's a, it's, this is an example of the uncanny Valley. I thought previously the uncanny Valley could only really work with humanoids, but I think that who just looks so realistic and his movements were so like, like seemed fairly believable for what it might look like for a stuffed toy to move around and about, but like those black eyes that just didn't blink. The fact that his mouth was super, super tiny. The fact that he invaded Christopher Robin's life and immediately started to ruin it in this weird way where he just kept on like moving forward with whatever thought he had without any sort of care whatsoever to how it affected Christopher and the world around him. I like it creeped me out. Every almost everything about this movie. Um and until the rest of the group showed up. Then things started to get a little bit more lighthearted. But there was just this weird, weird aura for this movie for me, and I can't quite shake it. It's still still haunts me to this day i do agree with you that it definitely started off there was a lot of dark center undertones and even to the fact that you know the hundred acre wood was very very dark it was rainy all the time like it was uh, i think one of the things they were trying to do is really show how much this isn't christopher robin and they had like a breakthrough and so i think that it was definitely done uh, on purpose but it definitely took I didn't think they needed to do as dark as it was. Gonna basically feel like, and we also saw the fact that um, you know Haley Atwell's character was basically saying, "Hey, we're actually going to stay up here in the uh, house longer. We're not going to come back." And they were literally about to just basically leave. And Christopher Robin's kind of losing everything, even to the point where you know. And I thought that they were going to like uh, bring this back, but his neighbors basically wanted to play gin rummy from him and. That was just a separate sort of character, sort of creepy, creepy but like, yeah, it was creepy, but it was fun. And you definitely have those people that you don't want to hang out with as much, but they still text you and you're like, oh, fine, I guess I'll hang out with you at least once this week. Uh, and so that, I guess that happens. But they, so didn't even, it, they didn't even hang out in the movie. It was literally a that, non. It literally went nowhere. It wasn't even like Jesse yeah. Plemons from Game Night. That was like Which a was, weird neighbor done well. Yeah. 
that was also a, a completely different movie. But I mean, just looking at like the overall sort of plot itself, of I can see, I can see the Disney of it. I definitely saw kind of shades of uh, a couple other movies, depending on what's going to happen. You know, overall, how to Christopher Robin go back to find his childhood so that he can appreciate life as it is now. Um, I, I think that was a pretty uh, interesting sort of tale to make. I I definitely disagree just about with everything about the the character and the puppet designs or the Winnie um, the Pooh designs for everything. The one thing I was confused about is Tigger did definitely seemed a lot older, almost as if he uh, had like gums when he was talking. And I was like, does he not have teeth? Is that like on purpose? I thought that was a little weird. But I, I didn't, I didn't mind anything about Winnie the Pooh. I thought it was so strange that uh, Mocha for sure didn't like the design. The reason why I didn't mind it, and I'm like looking, I'm staring at a photo for right now, is because like with all like the stuffed animals and things, especially that I had when I was younger, like I always would wish them to be alive. And I see, you know, looking at two different examples, those toys didn't quite look like the toys in a Toy Story. You know, I know that movie is like. A lot of years older, but even at the time, the toys that I kind of wanted to get go and you know become alive, you know, I had a Bert and Ernie stuffed animal forever, and I wanted them, you know, for all of my life for them to kind of come alive in exactly what this movie sort of kind of means as you're kind of getting older. Um, so I like I like the how realistic it was because I think it definitely made it a bit too real for some people, and that way it, it came a little bit weird. I was just confused by um, the introduction of Pooh when he comes back to Christopher Robin's house. That blundering, kind of sort of like dumb and um, just basically messing up without caring, the, the, the not a care in the world sort of thing of, you know, personal stuff. I think that was uh, probably kind of off. Uh, I was hoping that they would kind of change that because you start to dislike Pooh. At least I started to dislike Pooh there. And I was like, man, I'm kind of rooting for Christopher Robin here. But I don't think I'm supposed to. So I guess that's like my only sort of concern about that character design. So, yeah, the least surprising thing I've ever heard in my entire life is that you had a Burton Ernie doll growing up like that. For for whatever <laughs> reason, I would never even thought about it. But you said it. I'm like, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. So, Warren, you, you, you made a good point. The way Pooh um, sort of just barges into Christopher Robin's world and acts without any concern whatsoever to the ramifications was deeply unsettling. Uh, and I mentioned Michael Myers before from Halloween fame, but it's, it is a very similar feeling to that, right? So with Michael Myers, you have this force, right? It's an evil force. It's a man who's crazy or whatever, but there's something driving him to just constantly walk towards his goal, regardless of whatever gets in his way, whether he gets shot, impaled, whatever. And I felt that with Pooh, like he showed up in Christopher Robin's world and then just without any consideration or thought or care, he just kind of barrels forward with whatever his instinct is, and he can't be reasoned with. And that's so creepy to me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's just inherently like, and it, and that's something that I never got out of Winnie the Pooh in the cartoons. The, the thought that Winnie the Pooh was something that could not be reasoned with uh, never came across, in my opinion. Um, also, Winnie the Pooh, like, he was, he was bumbling in the cartoons. Like, he would, you know, make mistakes, fall downstairs, knock over the honeypot, whatever. But he always was aware of when he would make mistakes and he would say things like, oh, bother, and, you know, be contrite at times. I didn't get any of that from this Winnie the Pooh. He was just this supernatural force that you couldn't stop and was destroying Christopher Robin's life. And it was creepy as hell. 
at that time, I think that they were shooting it from, or they at least definitely kind of changed perspectives, and that was from Christopher Robin's sort of world. And I, I think the majority of what Pooh was trying to get him to do was like obviously slow down, think about it, enjoy life as it is right now. Like the the best thing is to do nothing. That's what something comes out of it, whatever that saying is. I thought it was a great saying, but I think you know he was basically trying to do this because Winnie the Pooh did not change in this movie at all just all the other stuff because the same thing we see with the compass and the map like he didn't change of what he was doing he was trying to at least kind of help out kind of Christopher Robin because Christopher Robin's sort of a breakdown that he was having at work almost willed Pooh to come in he says you know it's going to show up when it needs to show up and I'm going to appear when I need to be here or not so I I definitely kind of get I I would I was just hoping that there will be a bit like make that um, opening moment in their house a little bit softer because the first thing we see is when he shows up is he tracks honey all throughout the house he scratches a record he breaks a a record player he breaks tons of dishes in the kitchen and is like oh i was just kind of hungry and you you literally would sit there like please get this guy out of here get Winnie the Pooh out of here because he's just messing up everything even with the whole the balloon sequence with i thought it was great but it definitely felt like he was being such a bother and being such a nuisance. I just need they need to like just take it down just a little bit because again, we we love Pooh and you know Pooh's there for a good reason. And so either make Christopher Robin even even nastier and Pooh needs to be the good guy at all points. Yeah, and this actually rolls into something else where despite it being inherently creepy for me, I was still just like intellectually aware that Pooh was an was an innocent being and was ultimately a good thing in the movie. But Despite the fact that they make Winnie the Pooh to be a uh, a nuisance, Christopher Robin's escalating aggression towards him was super uncomfortable. Like it didn't feel good watching him like scream at Winnie the Pooh in the woods. Like it was weird. And I get that the whole point was to show that Christopher Robin is so far lost from the person that he was because mm-hmm. war does that because killing a man takes a part of your soul with him. Like, I get it. That's understandable. But man, was it really uncomfortable? Because, again, Winnie the Pooh in this movie was dumber than he usually is, was less intelligent, I guess. And it's almost like watching, like, seeing somebody yell at, like, a developmentally disabled person. Like, it it was weird. And it felt, I felt, like, bad and angry at Christopher Robin. Yeah. And it just, like, it created these emotions that I was not expecting to have for, like, the first hour and 15 minutes of this movie. Yes, I mean that's a good call out. I, I I like the crescendo of that moment though, when you know Winnie the Pooh asks him, um, well he disappears, right? Um, and even before he disappears, he asks him, well, did you like, did you leave me? Like, oh, you know, he asks, you know, where's Madeline? And he said, basically, we kind of left him back there. He's like, well, did you left us? Because you said you'd never forget about us. And he had like the, a lot of these kind of real moments that really kind of cut deep. Um. And it really kind of forced Christopher Robin to go into his bit of a spiral. So, um, you know, uh, Blue, what you got? I guess the uh, so I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, I got now that I'm thinking about it, I got a super Lorax impersonation. Like that's kind of the Lorax's character where he shows up. He's like kind of an idiot, kind of aloof, but he just kind of he bumbles around for a while. And then you get angry at him and he just disappears, you know, um, so again, kind of a cross pollination of, of certain characters, but the only thing that I haven't talked about yet about plot that I like to talk about is the, how easy it was. So mm-hmm. like 
it was the whole big thing that Winnie the Pooh wakes up. He's all alone. It's obviously a big day for Christopher Robin, so it kind of plays in with like that, oh, it's going to be a big day for Winnie the Pooh. He goes, has the London adventure, and then gets Christopher Robin back to the woods. They search around for a little while, and then Christopher Robin just finds his friends. Like, immediately. They, very, yeah, it very was like easy. Th- that, that could have been the plot to the movie, you know, like him learning how to, like, deal with everything by refinding parts of his childhood. You know, obviously every character is very diverse, and how they interact with, like, an adult would be, like, an interesting way. Um, it just felt so easy that it was like, oh, no, they're all there. Like, damn it, we lost Pooh now. Like, well, we got to go find Pooh. I guess he's going to show up at some point. Um and so I thought, I mean, the, the way they reintroduced him was awesome, where he, he was at, like, the place that he always left him and stuff, but uh, it just felt so easy. And then the whole, like, the whole thing at the end, that ending was the most cringeworthy thing I've ever watched in my entire life. Where he literally, it was like a freaking musical, where he, like, motions to the kids. He's like, oh, that's the senior in, like, the thing, motioning to the freshman in drama club to, like, dude, you're supposed to be up here. Come on, let's go. We gotta sing the line together. Um, like it just, that was so brutal where it, like the paper flipped upside down and then all of a sudden Christopher Robbins, the reason that we get paid vacation time, <laughs> come on, like that's yeah. not like, it just, it just, that ending, the last 15 minutes were so stupid, except for them having a picnic. That was fine. That was like an okay end of the movie. But like the whole, that whole thing was just such a terrible payoff. I was hoping that that payoff would be Christopher Robin would leave that job. Yep. And I thought that's what it was trying to do, even if he would have given them the solution um, or the ultimate sort of sacrifice or whatever, because they kept talking about cuts, kept talking about cuts this entire time, his important papers, his important papers. And it was just to the point where if he would have, and we've seen this before in other movies, but you have a choice, right? Are you choosing like your work or you're choosing your family? And still at the end, this resolution is he still kind of got both. That's it has to be either one or the other. You can't just do both and says, Hey, everything's going to be good. See you later. Like, I don't, I don't I, think that's going to be the, the best solution for this movie. It was kind of a bummer though. I was kind of bummed at that. Resolution. I thought they were going to go with a uh, step, uh, not step brothers, a elf uh, type ending. So I got the wrong Will Ferrell thing where uh, (laughs) earlier in the film, uh, Madeline says, Dad, I never knew you were such a good artist. And so Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to go and he was they were going to show the writing of the Winnie the Pooh stories, like how he rediscovered it and how like being crushed under his job and he was going to become this writer and illustrator. And that's the character that we knew and love. That would have been a great ending. Yeah, I mean, granted, I mean, again, it's it's how Elf ended, but like that that is, and they set up the emotional backdrop to it of like, hey, you hate your job, you hate it, like you don't want to do this, you just think that it's gonna pay off better, but like you're also a good drawer and you have a very good imagination, like it made sense to trend that way. If Christopher Robin was actually the um, origin story for Disney. <laughs> But yeah, but instead we got like a union boss uh, origin yeah. story. Yeah, I was kind of bummed about the ending. That was a little bit too easy. I definitely I agree with you. I liked how fun that the chase was. I liked how fun the especially the police officer who gets the guy. He's like, we all, all saw- had the look. We all saw that, right? You saw what? 
I didn't we, see anything. We didn't <laughs> see anything. Yeah, that was great. I like that was that was actually kind of fun. But um, I, I really, I, I'm curious to see if this does have a different ending. Um, if he actually does leave his job, That'd it be, made uh, so much sense for him. It's like it's the we've talked about this on this podcast before. That sometimes the movie should have the cliche ending, and that some in a lot of cases, like doing the cliche ending would be a better film. I'm blanking on it right now, but there's a couple that we've covered that were like, they should have just done this. Like everyone would have seen it, but it would have worked out way better. Yeah. And it's it's also interesting to see, you know, Haley Atwell character in this movie. They didn't really give her, like she kept drawing. I, I knew that she was working on something. She was like drawing, like designing something. But I felt like that was just also kind of overlooked. They didn't really... I, I know this is obviously this movie's named Christopher Robin, so it's about Christopher Robin. But you need to also expand us a little bit to talk about his wife. And basically, she has raised this child for her, by herself this entire time. And so I don't think... I just don't think that they gave her any um, as much credit as she like definitely deserved. For a movie that had four human speaking characters, like half of them were terribly undeveloped. Yeah. You know, it was like... The Robin family and then the boss. It's like I, and the boss was underdeveloped, but, but who really cared? And then Haley Atwell's character, like, who are you? You raise a good point. I didn't even think about that. Like, she was constantly shown doing her own thing, but like, mm-hmm. what was that? So let's pick <laughs> up. Let's talk about a little bit of a couple things before we kind of uh, round out the show. But you know, let's talk a bit about the voice acting um, and the extra bits of this and. Um, I think I read this uh, article that my friend actually sent to me, and I read it after because, man, this article is a spoiler. But I think the article says, you know, there is an Oscar-worthy um, performance in this movie. And, like, that was the headline of it. And so, she, obviously, she sent, me, she sent it to me before the movie, and I'm like, you don't know me very well because I'm really upset now. Uh, but I, I knew that it wasn't going to be Ewan McGregor's Oscar-worthy performance, so I was curious to see who it was. And I... I know I mentioned this before, but the it was an odd physicality to um, Jim Cummings' voice that was made for Winnie the Pooh that I just thought was absolutely phenomenal. Um, going off of what you were talking about, Mocha, it was almost too real, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Even the simplistic of scenes of them sitting on the train and that and everything about that train station was all Harry Potter to me. By the way, I, I got oh, yeah. tons of Harry Potter. Everything it was Harry Potter. There. I thought I they were like, gonna sneak in a, a three quarters. Yeah. I, like I saw, oh, yeah. I, just in the background. I was looking at all the background signs. Yeah, everything about that. Was, and they was talking about the trolley. Like I literally was like, did I get transported into a Harry Potter movie? Because I am loving this. But like them sitting down, it's um, Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, and Christopher Robin's trying to work, and Winnie the Pooh is just like looking out stuff as it goes by, and I'm like, I used to play that game too. Oh my gosh, just you scream out whatever you see. My mom would hate me for it. Um, but they just had so many simplistic moments, and you just, I grew to like love this character. And every time that he was on the screen, he was bumbling, he was silly, but he was also very, very good. Um, so I really, really hope that at something like he gets some sort of nomination or something for this work. Even Brad Garrett absolutely killed it with EOR. I thought that was absolutely great. Um, and it was also very funny, uh, also to the point where it felt like he was uh, definitely saying what like the what, your, your work, your worst nightmare of it, of 
everything that you were thinking of or you know what's the worst that can happen he was saying that out loud so that was very 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 funny um of that and i've been trying to find that the actual score of this movie there's a couple songs uh, i'm glad they at least put the tigger song in this of him actually singing so i thought that was pretty cool um, but I know I was trying to find out, you know, who actually did the score. They didn't post it on Spotify yet, so I'm bummed because it was definitely some things that I liked about it. It was very, very open and light. But I, I was curious as of, you know, if anybody else kind of paid attention to that stuff. Yeah. Mocha, what you got? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, just directly responding to that. The score was fantastic. Um, there was a couple times when they left music out of scenes. Uh, that was amazing. It really drew, like, Ewan McGregor has a very like powerful voice, maybe not powerful, but like you, you pay attention to like those little mannerisms he has. Um, and there was a couple times they dropped the music for great effect. I thought that they, I wish they came back to it in the credits cause I stayed through the whole credits, but I loved the Winnie the Pooh song in there. Like they just did a fricking brilliant little guitar xylophone, I think piano arrangement of it. Um, that was oh, that was it was phenomenal. The music was very good. I gotta check and see if it's on Apple Music. Uh, you know, just to make sure it's somewhere on the internet. Um, yeah, because it was. I, a, I think people like posted some stuff together that was on Spotify, but I don't think it was like actually out yet for me to kind of listen to the actual score. Yeah. Uh, music's by John Bryan and Jeff Zanelli. Uh, yeah, two two person. I wonder if one of those guys did like the older stuff. Speaking of, the, speaking of the older stuff, I love that they had, like, the catchphrases. Like, you, you mentioned this before with the Tigger, you know, theme song. And then you have, um, like, Pooh's, all of Pooh's biggest, like, catchphrases were in there. And that mm-hmm. was... Even his physical catchphrases, like his stretching in front of the mirror and his falling stuck downstairs. Stuck in the honey. So good. Yeah. <laughs> like, they definitely did the research on what made that character both auditorily and visually kind of special. Um, one thing that this is kind of non sequitur to that is just a final thought. Um, there was, they did like a line callback and it was the, uh, it was like the basically, uh, you have to work for everything. Like nothing's ever free type thing. It was a better line than what I just said, but it was that concept. And so you hear it three times in the entire film. And I thought this was a brilliant concept that definitely gets overshadowed. But you first hear it from the sneebling like little boss character that's like clearly never had to work for it. And that's just clearly saying these words because he has that power over Christopher Robin. And then you hear Christopher Robin in a tone of voice saying like a hopeful like you have to work for stuff. You like you, you. Nothing's ever free. You have to go for it. Like please. Uh, and he he had that like half belief in it. And then you hear his daughter with full belief in it later. That's like you have to work for everything. Nothing is ever free. And I thought I thought that was a great unifying uh, thematic approach where you see this like kind of transcendence through different characters. The same line of dialogue, but the manner of speech and the situation are completely different. Um, and I thought that was a very effective way of showing a storyline progressing. It'd be better if I knew what the actual line is, but I saw it like two hours ago and I had a nice margarita. I drank a margarita in a kid's movie. It was fantastic. 
<laughs> I like how your excuse for not being able to remember is I saw it two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it two hours ago. I had a margarita. Sorry. Yeah, I'm looking for that quote for right now because they did mention it a couple times. There was also a lot of quotes that talks about doing nothing is just something to do. So I'm looking for that quote too. They, I think there was a lot it, of cool That was the one that one. really stood out for me. They did it a couple times. You're right. The, the do nothing. But again, it, it was a, it was kind of a, like a hidden brilliant way of, of storytelling where they have the dialogue, which is the commonality between multiple characters, set locations and themes. Um, and then how they kind of interwove those all together. Yeah, there's there's also a bit of brilliance there in its simplicity. What Disney captured with the uh, with the nothing line and the like the recurring reference to nothing is they captured the single guiding force in every single adult person's nostalgia for childhood. Everything, no matter how, just can come back to the fact that as a kid, you didn't have to do jack shit. You did nothing. And like they say it in that line, right before he leaves Hundred Acre Woods, Christopher Robin is talking to to, to Winnie, and he sa- and he says, uh, "Like I, my favorite thing is to do nothing." And that's what it is. Like as after he leaves, he starts getting compound. Like he starts getting uh like put this burden is put on him that gets compounded year after year of more and more responsibility, more things he has to do. He has to pay attention in school. He has to kill a German soldier in order to survive and make it home to his family. He has to go to work. Like he has to ignore his, like avoid going on a vacation with his family so he can support them. And anybody's complaint or, or about being an adult or their nostalgia for being a child comes back to the fact that when you were a kid, you didn't have to do anything. Um, and I think that's a really, really subtle way to talk about a very profound connecting message for every adult that's out there in the world. Yeah. I mean, this, I, I just looked at some of the uh, favorite quotes that a lot of people have from the movie. Uh, this one I thought was very good of, you know, by Winnie the Pooh says, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. That's deep, it's deep cuts there. I thought uh, to counteract what you were saying earlier, I thought that was always Pooh though. He was always kind of like, he was always those, one of those people that, like, I don't think he realized how deep he was. Yeah. I didn't get that impersonation, or that impression, excuse me, that, like, he was an idiot in this movie. Like, he, he to me, that was consistent character where he, he just didn't know how wise he was. He just definitely felt a bit. It was definitely in in uh, the beginning. He felt he he definitely. It felt like he got wiser who, as the movie went on. It, who he, specific? The, yeah, he specifically ahead. says, "I don't have much brain." Hey, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> a, I'm a something bear with not a lot of brain or something with like not that. Lot, yeah, with not much yeah. brain. Well, that was yeah. another one they brought back with uh, Ewan McGregor saying it later on in the movie. Yeah, because he said he has a lot of heart. He's full of heart, which is great. Sorry. No, it reminded me of the movie Tropic Thunder. Uh, what's the name of Oh my gosh. (laughs) Ben Stiller's character, the uh special Little uh was it Little Jack? Simple Jack. Simple Jack, (laughs) yeah. When Simple Jack says (laughs) says uh the brain movies make my eyes rain. (laughs) Like that's what I remember what Winnie the Pooh reminded me of in this movie. That's not about it at all. <laughs> not, not, not even close. What else do we have before we go into our lasting thoughts? I have some lasting uh, thoughts. 
I'm trying to look for all these quotes because there's like a lot that I'm like just w- just typing Winnie the Pooh quotes. If you live to be a hundred, I'll live to be a hundred minus one day, so I'd never have to live without you. Come on, that's great. That wasn't in the movie though, but there's that a lot was of close. Movie. They yeah, said they sure. said how old would I be? He's like you'd be one less. Yeah, you'll be ninety nine. That was cute. Uh, yeah. So, um, Mike, what do you have for your lasting thoughts? Which Mike? Blew it. Blew it. What do you have for your lasting thoughts? Change uh, your damn Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so I thought it was unbelievably nostalgic in that first five minutes. And it peppered in other bits of nostalgia. Uh, but once you got through, like, the cry fest of having, like, your innocence and childhood lost, which my voice just cracked in there, that's the compounds the hilarity of that statement. Um it was really kind of an average movie. Like, I could get over the fact that they didn't really quite know what to make this film. It wasn't bad in any ways, even with the like the horror show characters. It just it wasn't it wasn't great. Yeah, I walked out of there being like, "Oh, that was a movie. It was good." On to the next thing. Hmm. I was definitely hoping for a little bit more, also, so I can definitely kind of. I feel that sentiment. I was kind of bummed that the movie was over, but then I'm like, well, that movie was almost well, movie was almost two hours, right? Um, and so I was like, okay, I mean, this is good. You know, will I watch it again? Yes, an hour and 44 minutes. Will I watch it again? Probably. I'm actually will thinking about going again and watching it, so I'm pretty pumped about that. I think for me, the most important takeaway from this film uh, is the fact that you know, taking another man's life, even if it's in self-preservation, really fractures the soul. And it we should didn't happen. Better. Uh, that, I mean, I'm going to agree with that second part, but the first part, Christopher Robin did not kill anybody in this movie. So, with that, let's talk about our conclusion. Let's talk about our lasting thoughts. Would you recommend this movie? I'm going to start with uh, Mocha and says, would you recommend this movie? Did you like it? Did you not like it? What was like, a couple things that you would say? Yeah, I mean, I think overall it was a pretty okay movie. I think graphically it was really like beautiful looking like the detail that was put into the character models for Pooh, Tigger and all the rest was really quite stunning and they looked very realistic uh, while still fitting into the and really fit into the world that they were cohabitating with Christopher Robin and the other actual actors. Um, I think the movie overall really, really suffered from trying to do way too much without the right focus. And I actually don't think this is like a great kids movie. I like kids are going to be drawn to it and parents are going to be drawn to it because they're going to remember the like their childhood memories of Wayne the Pooh. I don't mm-hmm. think you should bring your kids to see this movie. I think you should just go see it on your own. If you're a grown adult who's really obsessed with Disney, go watch it. You'll probably have a good time. Um, but I mean, take your kids to the neck to see The Incredibles or uh, like How to Train Your Dragon 3 when it comes out or whatever. This isn't I don't think this is the, the movie for them. Um, I'm not mad that I watched it, but you know, I think it's it's passable. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the film a lot. I'm, I'm glad that they kind of gave us a, a bit of a new story, especially because going off of it, I know um, I was coming into this thinking that this was going to be like goodbye, Christopher Robin, which if you think that this movie was uh, kind of sad, you guys have clearly not seen that movie at all. And that movie is very, very rough. Was that a um, Disney movie? Like, did Dis- was no. it Disney's Goodbye Christopher Robin? No, okay. no, no. So then uh, it's still notable that this one is particularly rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just dark. It's a lot darker than I think a lot of people would imagine. But uh, I, I enjoyed it because of the darkness of it. I enjoyed a lot of it because 
of you get more along the lines of, you know, what, what happens when Christopher Robin forgets to even play, not even being a child, but what what happens when he's like so wrapped up into work for some reason that they ask a lot of questions of what are you so like wrapped up about work and are, you have a family right in front of you and yet you're still not paying attention to it at all. And even when Haley's Atwell's character, Evelyn, like confronts him in the kitchen of, I haven't even seen you smile. You remember when we met about dancing and that just, you know, kind of bounced off of him because he wasn't ready for it. Um, so I, I'm glad about that. I'm glad that you definitely kind of get moments in the story that just is absolutely profound. A lot of the lines from Pooh, um, a lot of the lines from even what happens when they go to the hungry, the hundred acre woods of when they get lost and um, how that definitely feels like visually. And I just enjoyed a, a lot of it. I didn't really enjoy too much about the ending because like from all the stuff that we talked about before, but I liked a lot of the movie and I will definitely say, you know, especially with all the other movies that are out and, I have seen a lot of movies, especially uh, after the you know, whole Marvel stuff and everything for right now is either kind of too violent. There's nothing that has, you know, uh, this particular kind of feel for it. Although you guys feel like it's you said, like, just join it and they have like two separate movies. I just like to be it's like more of a conversation like starter that is trying to bridge the gap between, you know, people who grew up with Pooh that are a little bit older like us or, you know, a little bit older than us than their children itself. And it's a nice kind of right in the middle so that both parties have this something to talk about in between of what it what it feels like for them. And so I think if if Disney is trying to kind of bridge that gap in between and have like this conversation piece with this movie, but still have a philosophical, a philosophical character like Pooh, bring it on. I think it's awesome. And with that, we are the Down in Front Podcast. We have just finished our review of Christopher Robin. I'm going to toss it over and says, Mocha Mike, when can people find more of your work? Yeah, you can all find me at Twitter, uh, writing short fiction about Christopher Robin's war flashbacks at Mocha Mike L.I. Um, that's Mocha Mike L.I., as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, the person who has at Mocha Mike uh, let me go, similarly to the way he let uh, Christopher Robin let Pooh go. And I can't find him, and now that username is lost to me forever. Um, so you can find me at Mocha Mike L.I., um, you can also find me on Instagram at Mocha Mike, where I post my photography work, and Medium.com at Mocha Mike, where I try to write long form reviews about the movies we talk about here. It's been a while, but I am declaring that right now for all of you to hear to have some accountability, and you'll see some new writings from me soon. It's been a while. Uh, Blue, where can we find more of your work, and uh, what shows you got coming up? We got nothing. I've been mad lazy. It's it's unreal. Yeah, it's <laughs> really terrible. Uh at, at promotion and artistic integrity. Um, you can find us at My News Music or My News Band on most major platforms. Uh, follow us. Uh, we should have a new music video coming out on Pornhub uh, anytime soon. Uh, seriously, YouTube's dead. It's long live Pornhub. Um, if you want, though, you can also check us out at Jesse Rand Strangles Slowly a German. Uh, dot BDSM. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's artistic videos of just like it's nothing like weird. It's not like like a snuff film or something. It's just Jesse just slowly like chokes out German fellows. Uh, they <laughs> they do quietly mutter to themselves in German. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, definitely for you. If you're not, it's probably also for you. You might not you you don't know what you don't know. You know. So it's Jesse Ram. Slowly strangles German fellas. Dot BDSM. 
Thank you. And we are the Down in Front Podcast. You can check out more of our work at downinfrontpodcast.com. We're just about everywhere you can find us. So feel free to Google and search for us at downinfrontpodcast.com. We're on Twitter, underscore DAFP. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash downinfrontpodcast. We're also going to be on Reddit. We do have an email. So that's going to be the crew at downinfrontpodcast. If you want to know any other reviewers that we're going to be doing, definitely shoot us an email. Um, definitely subscribe to us on YouTube. Like we definitely be putting out more and more content. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for all our patrons. If you do want to help us out from what we do, anything and everything is going to be helpful. The price is on the can. I mean, come on. Like, definitely let us know on patreon.com slash down in front podcast. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week for our review of Black Klansmen, which I have not seen yet, but I have no idea what it's about. So I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> <laughs>